1958, Wilhelm Reich died in federal prison, but his legacy lived on. To many, he was a martyr, a genius persecuted by the authorities for his unorthodox ideas. His research into orgone energy had led to the creation of a unique type of psychotherapy in which doctors would not only talk with their patients about their problems, but physically touch them to soften their defenses. After his death, those he trained in the practice of orgonomy spread throughout the country to use his discoveries to treat patients. Some of these patients found Reiki therapy helpful, but to others it was a nightmare. It's forgotten history. Just a quick note, there is some potentially disturbing material in this episode. It's Forgotten History. I'm Declan Hyatt. I'm Sam Scarada. I'm Bill Sansovino. Last week we talked about how he died in federal prison, and I just wanted to clarify how he got there. Originally, he wasn't sent to jail. Uh, He just had to destroy his orgone accumulators and stuff, and that was punishment enough. (laughs) But the FDA later did a sting operation where they had an agent buy orgone accumulators (laughs) from Organon. That was the orgone research facility that Reich had established in Maine. And so that's when they sent him to prison for two years for violating the court order. Okay. Oh, my God. Still, though, I think that I'm not sure he should have gone to jail for that. I wonder why he was singled out, because there's so many other quack remedy people running around, and none of them are in jail. Grifts everywhere. Yeah. It's just the good old American grifting tradition. Yeah, of course. His son, Peter Reich, wrote a, a very affecting book about his relationship with his father, Um, In one of the letters he wrote from prison to his son, he said that he cried a lot and said that Peter should let himself cry because tears are the great softener. I thought that showed like a human side of of Reich. Reich founded several institutions to carry on organ research. One of the most ambitious was the Organomic Infant Research Center, which he established in 1950 to focus on children. The goal was to raise children free of armor, which was an idea we talked about in episode one. Uh, Reich would meet with a group of 30 therapists in the basement of his home in Queens, New York. There, Reich would present young children that were part of the Oric program. He would have them stand naked on the stage while he described their various blockages. No! Not everyone was comfortable with this. Uh, one of the doctors... What? I said I can't imagine why. Yeah. Uh, one of the doctors involved in Oric was a man named Albert I. Duvall. He was a psychiatrist who was personally trained by Reich, and was involved in several of his projects. To get an idea of what it was like to experience Reiki therapy as a child, I spoke with a man who was given therapy by Duval years later when he was located in California. The man's name is Roger Wilcox, and he spoke with us over the phone. Um, I grew up in several different places, mostly in the mostly in California. Mm-hmm. Um, between age five and eight, we were living in Berkeley, uh, which, is, which kind of formed part of my parents' uh, uh, whole attitude about things. They, they became kind of hippie wannabes. 
you know, there is nothing more pathetic than someone who tries and fails to be a hippie. But, uh, but uh, it was during that time that my parents first discovered Wilhelm Reich. And I guess something about it really clicked with my dad. And uh, that was when they decided uh, maybe we should all go see a quote-unquote feelings doctor. That's what they called him at the time. Was there any particular reason that he decided to do that? Uh, that I didn't decide to do that. They did. Yeah. And um, what time? What time period that? was this? This was. Uh, they had been unemployed for a little while. Uh, they were in Berkeley. They were absorbing the Berkeley culture. They had come across the idea in uh, Wilhelm. I guess through the, either the writings of Wilhelm Reich or through other people who were doing the therapy that somehow like everybody had this emotional armor on them and uh, and the therapy from the American College of Organomy could eliminate it. What and this was in the 70s? This was in yeah about 1973. Okay. And, and so they decided to send you to, and your brother to therapy? They decided to send the whole family to therapy. Okay. They don't like to talk about this with anyone because they figure that they still are under the impression that it, it, that uh, therapy is so socially unacceptable that if anybody ever finds out that they went to therapy, they would think they were crazy. So they don't like to talk about that much. And hmm. I so, so I won't mention their names. Um, but uh, soon, right after we started, they started getting into the whole therapy thing. We all moved to Santa Monica, and he signed us all up to go see Doctor. Albert I. Duvall, who was one of the or- College of Organomy's practitioners in the area. Mm-hmm. What was your first visit to Albert Duvall like? In the first time I went, it wasn't so bad. And how, how old would, were you? Sorry, how old were you? Uh, I was just about to turn nine. I was just a little bit shy of nine years old. And they sent me there. And when I went to doctors at the time, my main fear was that I was going to get shot with a needle. Mm-hmm. And so I was I was on guard a little bit about that, and uh, fortunately he didn't have any needles, and so I thought I was safe. I thought I was safe. With the first session, he would one of the things he would do with me would be to prod me in different areas of my body and do different little parts of what I would later discover was called vegetotherapy, where he would like press really hard on my forehead and kind of kind of massage it back and forth in a in a certain manner and say does that hurt and he would do the same thing with my cheeks to say does that hurt and he would and then he jabbed me in the stomach with his fingers and said does that hurt and i said oh yes and there were there were things he was just testing me with hurting but for the most part it, i was relieved that i wasn't getting a shot that was my whole reaction to the first time i saw him and, and was there a clear goal of this therapy it's to start out with like was there a particular problem he he said he was helping you with or and any kind of point to, to all this? Um, he didn't say anything to me. I later learned that there was a point to the therapy, at least according to the therapists, which was to remove the what they called the muscular armor that was keeping you from orgastic potency. Sounds legit. But but they didn't talk about that at the time. Uh-huh. I was just going because he. I just. All I knew at the time was my dad was sending me to him because he was a feelings doctor. Yeah, there was no clear goal that he told me about at the time and then and i wasn't personally interested in it this was something my parents wanted me to do or rather my parents made me do 
And so the first visit was kind of weird, but not so bad. What what happened after that? After that, um, he would start using those therapeutic techniques uh, more aggressively, and they were painful. It was kind of what we would call forced touch therapy, where they were... It's similar to acupressure or to rolfing, where they would press very, very hard on specific areas of the body of the musculature, and which was usually quite painful. And then he would move. He would move from my forehead to my cheekbones to the underside of my chin, and and when he did this, that was a really painful one, where he would jab his thumb underneath my chin and rock it back and forth. And I would I would wish that I had a bone plate down there so it wouldn't hurt as much, but I didn't. And and I would scream, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? This feels, uh, well, I would say, this feels, it's unfair. Why are you doing this to me? Ah. There, I, every session, I was basically getting in the habit of doing whatever I could to try to keep him from doing this technique to me. He didn't do it every session. So I figured there must be a way I can get out of it. And I, But I couldn't figure out what it was. He would just start doing it for no reason. How often did you and, go to him? We were sent to him every week, hmm. my, me, me and my brother. Um, he, we, would, we would have to lie on what he called a couch, but it was really, uh, but it was really more like a full-size bed. And we were stark naked. Hmm. That didn't bother me so much. I was worried about the pain, but it did bother my brother a lot. Uh, sitting there completely naked in front of him, he felt was humiliating. Of course. Humiliation didn't affect me much. I was just worried about, do anything you want to me, Dr. Duvall. Just please don't hurt me. Jeez. But uh, he hurt me. Wow. I'm sorry that you went through that. Uh, yeah, it, it, last, it, wasn't so much, it wasn't so much if it was just one or two sessions, that wouldn't have been so bad, but it was every single week for a couple of years. And what else did he do other than poke you and prod you? Um, well... As part of the therapy, he would have me breathe very deeply. <sighs> we were supposed to take nice deep breaths and make lots of noise doing it. So I was trying to get the noise right. I was trying to breathe correctly for him. Um, he went, uh, some of the times when he was getting me, getting me to scream in pain when he, was, when he was jamming me with his fingers, he would say things like, what do you want to do? And that was actually code for it's time for you to hit and kick on the bed and be angry. Uh, part of the therapy was to to uh, hit and kick and yell and scream and get your anger out. Mm -hmm. It was, uh, it was uh, I think they call that catharsis therapy in other fields. And the idea, the idea there was all this stuff in your musculature is actually anger or other emotions that you're secretly holding on to and that are just sitting there repressed and by pressing on the muscles he's getting them out and then you can and then you can express them and that should get them out of your emotional armor that's could, the theory anyway could you describe what dr duvall looked and acted like physically yeah he was he was old he was definitely an old man um he kind of looked like george burns um, he was all he did like and like George Burns, he did like to smoke, though he smoked cigarettes, not cigars. Um, when he would come into the when he would come into the office and sit down with me, the first thing he would usually do is unbuckle his belt because and I later learned this was because uh, they, he felt that constriction around the waist um, uh, blocks the flow of orgone energy inside your body or some such. Hmm. 
I didn't even know at the time that that this orgone energy thing that Reich was so big on was actually behind the therapy. They never mentioned it in the sessions. My parents never mentioned it to me. I didn't find out about it until much later. Hmm. Um, did he ever threaten you with anything? Oh yeah, oh yeah. There were there were times when he he didn't he didn't threaten in a in a bargaining sense. You know, do this or else I will do that to you. But he did. But he did make very threatening things on me to try to get a fear reaction out of me. One of the things he did was he would uh, take this pair of, uh, of I think they were surgical forceps, which have these little ratchets on the end, and he would click them open and closed in a kind of threatening manner, just sitting there, opening and closing them, opening and closing them. And finally, he would dive in with them toward, toward my pelvis and say, and with this, with this, with these uh, forceps that look like scissors in hand, and go tear it off, and dive in like he was going to try to, like hell? he was going to try to cut my penis off. What the hell? This is there. This is supposed to be therapeutic. It was supposed. It was supposed to get all the fear out to the top, so you could get it out of your system. I guess. And I saw on your website he also played on your fear of needles. Uh, he did that once. Yes. He did, he was, and I think that was more of an experiment than anything else. He he took a little little needle out, and it, he took a syringe out with a needle on it, and I said, oh, 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 "What are you going to do with that?" He said, "I'm just going to give you a simple injection," and I said, "Oh no!" Ah! And uh, he was he had no intention of giving me an injection. If I I noticed while he was using the needle that the tip of the needle seemed to be you know, blunted or cut off. I think it was actually a used needle that he had no intention of reusing that had had the tip destroyed. But but at the time, I wasn't sure, and I, I was worried that he was going to jab me with a needle, and he was, he was actually trying... He was... He was actually trying to, um, <laughs> in retrospect, it was kind of funny. He was, he was sticking it in a, a bottle of Kerry hand lotion, as though he were, as though he were loading the needle up with hand lotion. But, um, uh, but he was doing all this to try to make it look like he was getting ready to to stick me with it. And finally, he asked me, and finally he asked me, where do you want it? And I said, oh, um, and I tried to think of the least painful place he could stick it in me. I said, oh, in the arm. And he said, would you rather I not give it to you? And I said, yes, yes, yes. And he said, okay, then. The law requires that we destroy them. And he put the needle in one of those things that clips off the tip, and I guess clipped off more of the tip. Wow. And, and I was relieved at that point. Judy Garland's daughter, Lorna Luff, wrote a book called Me and My Shadows, where she talks about growing up as Judy Garland's daughter. And there's a couple of pages in there where the... Uh, a, where the court orders her to go see a psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist they send her to is a guy named Dr. Duvall, who does exactly this type of thing with threatening with needles. I'm pretty sure it was the same guy. Sounds like it. How many Dr. Duvalls were out there threatening people with needles? <laughs> Probably not many. Well, I, I, did, I did happen to look up Dr. Duvall's medical license in California to see if there were... Um, any complaints about him or anything, and, mm. and I didn't turn anything up, but I, there was only one uh, Dr. Duvall listed. Mm, yeah. Yeah, the, because the type of people that go to Dr. Duvall tend to be true believers in organomy, there probably aren't going to be very many complaints against him. He could do anything he wanted to, and the people that went to him would be convinced that this was going to give them the, the uh, access to organomies or gastric potency or whatever it was they were going after. How did your therapy with him end? Uh, well, it actually ended with him dying. 
he, uh, at one point, after a couple of years, he went on a long, like, one-year hiatus where he was actually getting out, out getting heart surgery or something. And uh, during that time, I felt kind of free, and I started, I started to open up. This was also the time when I was just starting to enter puberty, so that could have been a coincidence, but I was becoming more social and less afraid in my uh, general life. Mm-hmm. But eventually that wouldn't last, and we had to go back to him. That lasted for another, I guess, better part of a year, and then he left the practice again, and we finally found out, and we finally found out uh, from reading one of the Orgone Energy magazines from the American College of Orgonomy, their, their Journal of Orgonomy, had a, had a blurb on the back of one issue that said, Funeral services for Dr. Albert I. Duvall will be held on blank, blank, blank. And we knew that he had died. And at that point, me and my brother were both overjoyed about it. He would have danced a jig on his grave, and I probably would have joined him. What year was that? That would have been about 1977 or 78, I'm not sure. Uh, What effect did it have on you having to see this guy for like four years? It's kind of hard to say what the actual effect was and what was just me, but uh, I could tell you that during fifth grade when, when I was at the peak of going to Dr. Duvall, I was a very, very reserved kid. I was probably the most well-behaved kid in class, and my, my teacher loved it, but uh, it, was because, it, was because, it was because I think I was a lot more afraid. Hmm. Did you see any other Reikian therapists after Duvall? Yes. Uh, within a year or two, um, my brother and I were, uh, and, and the whole family, of course, were uh, taken to see another therapist by the name of Dr. Selma Stoll, or Carol Selma Stoll. She uses Selma. I think she likes Carol. I'm not sure which. Um, she was not as um, aggressive and intimidating with her pressing on the body thing, but she still did it. Hmm. And it was, dur- it was during that time when I was seeing Dr. Stoll, and that lasted throughout most of my teenage years, it was during that time that I started becoming a true believer in orgonomy, hmm. that I found out about orgone energy, and I kind of was intrigued by the notion, and here I was going to this doctor who was you know, basing her practice on it, and, uh, and eventually the idea clicked that, hey, here was, some, here was something really powerful and useful that if it, that if it is true, gives me all sort, access to all sorts of, uh, you know, personal empowerment stuff. So I kind of became a true believer. Like, should, you think some, somebody should be looking out for, especially children, mm-hmm. and I, preventing yeah. this from happening. But the, like, as far as you know, were any of these people ever sanctioned by any uh, regulator or anything like that? Not that I know of. Wow. In fact, if I had known that Child Protective Services was an option, I would have gone to them, particularly mm-hmm. after one session with Dr. Duvall, where I accidentally, in trying to do the hit and kicking thing on his bed that he, that he always insisted on, I accidentally kicked him in the face. And this got him infuriated with me. First, he told me, you know, get out of my office and never come back. And I actually kind of was relieved at that because that meant I wouldn't have to see him again. So when I got up and started putting my clothes on, he picked up on that and said, oh, no, you don't. You're, you're coming back, all right, every week. Now get your clothes back off and get on that couch. And when I did, he started uh, doing this 
nightmarish mockery of therapy that even Reich, I think, would have been aghast at, where, where, where the normal pressures of his hands became like 50 times as intense and he was rocking them far harder in various areas. And, um, and it took me a while to realize he was waiting for an apology. Hmm. I was told him it was an accident, but apparently he, he wanted me to say, I'm sorry, and I didn't pick up on that for the first couple of minutes. Hmm. Uh, only, only when I had the chance to gather my wits and think, what is he trying to get me to do here that I can, so I can get out of this? Did I finally think of saying, sorry about that. After that session, there were bruises on my body. And if I had gone to Child Protective Services, they probably would have taken it seriously. But this was the late 1970s, and, and the notion of, uh, of child abuse was just be barely beginning to come into the public realm, and of schools checking for such things was just barely coming into public knowledge. And so I didn't know that the option existed. Did you tell your parents about all this? What did they think of this? My parents were going through the same therapy themselves, and so I assumed they knew what went on in there. Hmm. But I kind of got the impression later that what he was doing with us, with me and my brother, was somehow different than what he was doing with my parents. With my parents, there was more of a, there was probably more a set of a sense of consent. Um, and so I didn't really pick up if I had been able to describe it as, you know, he is doing this stuff to me. I want him, I'm telling him not to, and he does it anyway, and it's really painful. And, and dad will be like, yeah, that's, my dad was like, oh yeah, that's, that's working on the, on the muscular armor. Of course, it's going to hurt to get getting it released. I, I had never told them about that session where he, he did the really exaggerated stuff. I probably should have. At what point did you realize that what you had gone through with Duvall was not normal and not okay? I did not start turning a jaundiced eye toward anything having to do with Wilhelm Reich until about the year 1999. In 1997, completely unrelated to any therapy I was going through, I uh, was uh, taken in by a little scam for, uh, to make a system of irrevocable complex trusts that would supposedly make you tax-free for the rest of your life and protect your assets forever. I, I believed it in the same way that I believed in orgonomy, in the sense that if it, if what they were saying was true, it lent its, it opened up this possible this wonderful set of possibilities of how much better life could be, and I believed it. I I bought into it. I accepted it. And when I finally figured out that hey no, these people are delusional. They're feeding me a load of junk, and and I started investigating that trust system and finding all the holes in it and kind of self-teaching myself on trust law, I kind of, something snapped in me and I became a much more skeptical person. Mm -hmm. I finally was able to turn the jaundiced eye of skepticism onto all of my treasured beliefs. And one of the places I shined that light was straight onto organomy. And it didn't take me long to start finding the holes in it. When I did that, of course, the, the problems with the therapy immediately became obvious. Mm -hmm. So it, it wasn't until 2000 or 2001 that I started that I started as kind of a sense of per kind of a personal purging exercise. I started writing a whole series of web pages, basically debunking Wilhelm Reich. Mm -hmm. When did you post your own personal experience on your website? 
that would have been either 2000 or 2001. It was as part of that larger project of Reich debunking, as it mm -hmm. were. And I knew I had to be careful with my debunking because there were a lot of true believers out there who accepted everything he said as, as gospel or wanted it to be true as much as I had previously wanted it to be true. So I had to be very careful about making sure I, I didn't just poke holes at it and walk away, but actually supported this with as much evidence as I could. Yeah, and I thought, I thought you did a pretty good job with that. Originally, there wasn't too much of a response. Most of the people who were reading it actually were somewhat positive. But I started get, but I started did get, but I did start to get responses from people indicating that you know I, you know I just hadn't had a good experience with them or, or um, what's your take on this particular aspect of orgone energy which they believed in? It, there wasn't actually a lot of there wasn't a lot of venom that I was seeing right at the time. I suppose now I and those web pages for me have kind of lain fallow for uh, over a decade now. Mm -hmm. And uh, I suppose if I were to go do, go, a go do a Google search about them, I could probably find them referenced on a lot of, uh, on a lot of Organomy Believers pages as being, you know, this is the enemy of the people, or, or just look <laughs> at this, just look at this jerk. Well, did, did you hear from anyone else who had gone through a similar experience to you? Um, I heard from a couple of people. Uh, one of them was uh, one of them was Felicia Sox. Um, I I put up I put up the descriptions of their uh, I'm I put up the descriptions that they had given me of their experiences. I put those up on my website, at least the ones they had allowed me to. I don't want to report on them off the cuff, just because I don't want to misquote anything they had told me. I want mm -hmm. to be a little careful about that. Sure. Do you think there might be other victims out there who? Haven't come forward. There, uh, there have been several cases reported. I remembered a lot back in the days of Usenet by adults who had gone through it and said, "Hey, we can all. I can always tell those. I can always tell when I'm walking on the beach those other people that are going to Doctor Duvall because they have the bruise." But, um, but those were adults doing it, and that and that was voluntary on their part. The cases of children who had been abused, which I think is a little more egregious, there aren't very many stories of those that have come forward that I know of. And I wish that, and I wish there were more. But you know, I can understand why someone would want to keep private about such things. Yeah. Particularly if Doctor Duvall was doing any kind of sexual abuse to them. I never experienced any sexual abuse. My brother never experienced any kind of sexual abuse. But other people have reported sexual abuse from Doctor Duvall, so I don't know. Mm -hmm. And he he can never be punished for it. Yeah, he's dead now. He can't be punished. Do you know what his association was with the College of Organomy? He was one of the big members of it. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the American College of Organomy, I should say, was officially founded by a guy named Ellsworth F. Baker. And I think it was, I think it was not founded until after Reich had died. It was, the or, it was the going to be the official organization that represented all the people who continued Reich's therapeutic work. But uh, there was apparently was a falling out among some practitioners who, who were true believers in orgone energy who wanted to go off and kind of do their own thing, who did not agree with the American College of Organomy's rather conservative slant on, on things. They, conservative in the sense of being cautious. They didn't want to, uh, they didn't want to be too out there. There, there were people like uh, James DeMeo, who originally was having his research with the, with the um, Orgone Cloudbuster, 
which is one of Reich's inventions, that supposedly you could point it at a cloud and it would make the cloud disperse, or point it at an empty part of the sky and make a cloud appear. What wonders? He was publishing some of his work in the in the Journal of Organomy, which was the official journal of the American College of Organomy. But eventually they had a falling out in that, and then he went and started self-publishing, and there seems to have been a lot of factioning that eventually occurred. The former president of the American College of Organomy started embracing Eastern mysticism, and that got him kicked out of the American College of Organomy. Wilhelm Reich hated mysticism almost as much as he hated what he called mechanistic science. Hmm which is odd considering the quasi-religious nature of his own cult. And Duvall was, uh, he, he personally was trained by Wilhelm Reich, right? Yes, he was. He was trained by Wilhelm Reich, and so was Ellsworth Baker. By the way, I did get to see Ellsworth Baker in therapy once, hmm. and that was after Duvall had died, and we were looking around for a new therapist. We flew to New York City and got one session with uh, Dr. Baker so he could uh, find out, uh, figure out where to send us next. That was when he figured out, that was just before we figured out we were getting sent to Dr. Stoll. Mm -hmm. In that one session with Baker, I, it surprised me because I didn't have to get completely naked on the couch like I did with Dr. Duvall. He let me keep my underwear on, hmm. which seemed a little unusual at the time. I thought, you know, taking all your clothes off was what you had to do in that kind of therapy, which uh, does lend a little bit of credence to the notion that maybe Dr. Duvall was a bit of a sexual abuser. Do you think that he was, Duvall was like a rogue practitioner in the eyes of organomy, or did, um, do you oh, think no, they tolerated him? Mainstream. And he was They he was mainstream. praised him. Uh -huh. They praised Dr. Duvall in their own journals. He was like, if... If Wilhelm Reich was Jesus, then Dr. Duvall was one of the 12 apostles. Hmm. Is there anything that I have not asked you about that you think is important to mention? The time I was a true believer and the time I really, really started becoming gung-ho about it coincided with a very, very different cult I brushed up against at the time, which was uh, called Lifespring. Unrelated to organomy, they were one of those uh, things like EST, one of those personal empowerment uh, learning session things, and it played into the whole notion of of if you of if you can just go through the emotional turmoil of making these changes, your life will be much more wonderful afterward. And it sold me on that notion, and that was kind of when I started uh, trying to do the same thing with or with uh, orgone therapy, as they called it. Mm -hmm. Oh. There was one session with Dr. Duvall where instead of doing the pressing on me or the intimidation things and trying to get me to breathe and such, he took out a uh, medical door buster. I, I don't know if uh, that's very well known about. It was kind of a shrunken, a shrunken personal-sized version of Reich's cloud buster. And the idea was you would point it at a person's body and it would remove all the deadly orgone from it, just like a cloud buster would remove the deadly orgone from the air. It just was bit, It was a box with a couple of pipes sticking out of one side and a hose that led under the bed. And I, uh, excuse me, under the couch. Excuse me. And uh, and the other end of the hose I later learned was just in a tank of water. When he waved it over me, I could feel a little bit of a breeze coming out of it, and he told me I'd feel a little breeze. He was convinced, of course, that this was the uh, that this was the doorbuster sucking the door out of my body. Door, by the way, being 
D-O-R, an abbreviation for deadly orgone. Mm-hmm. And, so, and supposedly this was sucking the door out of my body, but what I think it was was that the pipes were cold, my body was warm, and Dr. Duvall was fanning the device. And so, of course, that's going to generate a little bit of a breeze. Mm-hmm. And I was overjoyed that he was using the thing on me because it meant he wasn't hurting me. <laughs> wow. Unfortunately, he had to stop using it because, quote-unquote, it gave him headaches. Mm-hmm. Probably from all the door cough, cough. Right. I just want to thank you for um, sharing your story. Uh, maybe oh, maybe if more people hear about it, maybe more people will be yeah. encouraged to, uh, to come forward. Yeah. What did you think of that interview? Uh, that was absolutely bonkers. Oh, oh my god! That was like some like crazy cult kind of crap that yeah. went on there. <laughs> like it really felt. It's when I was watching Wild Wild Country for the first time. <laughs> first of all, how he described his parents was exactly what I was imagining. Like some wannabe hippies who are just grasping for something to connect to something. To believe in that isn't ooh god (laughs) some countercultural thing yes yes exactly and I think they could have attached themselves to any movement they just happened to find orgonomy at the right time today they'd probably be Scientologists yeah yeah (laughs) or they they could still be orgonomists the orgonomists are still out there oh god oh you know what true that was a wild uh, story that he told I don't have any reason to disbelieve him either it's consistent with other stories about Albert Duvall because he's not the only person who was as accused organist of abusing them mm-hmm. especially surrounding Oric and these the inner circle of Reich there are a number of children who say they were abused by Oric therapists in fact in 1952 a nurse said that Duvall had taught her five-year-old son how to masturbate oh my god so Duvall was arrested and they investigated Oric, and they eventually dropped the case after Reich agrees to close Oric. So that's how Oric got shut down. Wait, his wait that yeah, well that was before. Like... The, uh, all I looked at was his California medical oh, license. Oh, 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 and he oh, moved oh. to California after that happened. There was another therapist of Oric named Daniel Silvert, and he was accused of abusing a five-year-old girl with the permission of her mother. Oh. The book says that when Reich found out about this, he suspended Silvert from treating women patients for one year and from practicing orgonomy for one year. That's a, a fitting punishment. That's Right. Well, this shows, I mean, this shows that Reich did have authority over these people and yeah, he could have yeah. put a stop to it if he had believed the uh, accusers or yeah. had taken it seriously. Yeah. One of Reich's daughters, Laura Reich, said that she felt kind of threatened by Reich and the emphasis on children's sexuality, although she never was abused by him personally. There were more allegations from other people. A woman named Susanna Stieg, who was a niece of Reich's follower William Stieg, who was a cartoonist for The New Yorker, published a memoir online called My Childhood Experiences with Reichian Therapy, where she says she was basically tortured in painful therapy sessions by Ellsworth Baker, who was the founder of the American College of Organomy. And as was mentioned in the interview, there was a woman named Lorna Luft, Judy Garland's daughter, who wrote in her memoir about how the sessions were, like, psychological torture. Was Judy Garland an orgonomist? Like, I, I, that might ruin my life. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'd have to... I, I didn't read that book. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I don't know why she decided to send her child to the Duval in particular. Oh, God. The Barbiturates. 
Oh, my God. <laughs> Reich, even after the arrest, he promoted Duval to the board of the Wilhelm Reich Foundation, and he was also connected to the American College of Ergonomy. Somehow, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what. I'd love to ask them that. So Su- Susanna Stieg, the woman who wrote that online memoir, also said that she was abused sexually by a female Reikian therapist. And here's what she wrote about Reikians in general. I have spent a lifetime dealing with the aftermath of my traumatic childhood, full of abuse and betrayal. I think the Reikians were egomaniacs, true believers, and elitists. Many of them are sadists. I really hope the truth of what happened to us becomes well known. This is a cautionary tale about true believers and the evil that they do. Along with that, there was published an account by an anonymous girl named Frederica, who said that she was abused by Duval. And it's not just outsiders. There was an organist named Mort Herskowitz who told one of Reich's biographers that Duval, quote, should not have been near children. I heard he sexually abused his kid patients. I first got to know about it when some guy who I treated as a kid wrote me a long letter when he was in his late adolescence after he'd moved to California about his relationships with Duval before he'd seen me, and it was horrible. There was a community in southern New Jersey, which was like the Greenwich Village of South Jersey. What? Where? I don't know. <laughs> I, w- I would like to ask Mort Herskowitz, but he's dead. Um, but he said, well, lots of people had been in therapy and sent their kids into therapy with Duval and Ellsworth Baker, and I gradually heard stories about how all those kids hated to go to therapy and resented it much later. I heard stories of sexual encounters between Duval and some of those kids. Apparently, those kids also regarded sessions with Baker as torture. There was a lot of craziness going on. This is an, a fellow Reikian therapist who knew about this. Why didn't he do anything about it? Who, who was? Because they're true believers, Dickens. Who was going to stop them from abusing all these children? It's uh, infuriating. A lot of this is from Christopher Turner's book called Adventures in the Orgasmatron, which is the best. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best book about Reich that I found that was not written by a true believer. This is a good outside perspective. I mean, is it really surprising though that a whole that type of therapy based on orgasm energy would result in some kind of sexual abuse? Yeah, right. Right. Like, and why were like? Imagine a parent. Like, yes, I would like my child to have extremely powerful orgasms. Like, I don't, like this is what I'm going to send you to. Like, I just can't wrap my head around that. Yeah, I haven't heard any more recent stories about this. I don't know if they have cracked down or not. I don't. I don't know. I would love to ask uh, this. I would love to ask the Reikians about this. It but would, it would be great. And in fact, this episode came out late because I gave them a chance to come on the show and do an interview. Anyway, according to Turner's book, there were numerous therapists from Oric who ended up sexually abusing children. Like like you said, this, mm-hmm. the whole nature of it seemed to attract some people to it for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Alan Cott, Alan Ginsberg's former therapist who ran the American Association for Medical Organomies Medical Ethics Practice, went to Reich with reports of some complaints about Duval, but he was told that Duval had a great reputation with children by Reich. And Reich felt that if sex couldn't ex- express itself naturally, it came out in a distorted way. And he was keen to prevent this by encouraging the sexual spontaneity of children. Oh. But he did not seem to acknowledge the complications um, involved in this. This is according to Turner. He says it's unclear what the evidence exactly against Duval was, but it's, from the other stories, it seems that there was a lot of it. Yeah. The guy who brought this to Reich's attention, Alan Cott, he... Later, after Reich promoted Duval, Cott resigned, and then he later cooperated with the FDA when they were prosecuting Reich. There was one more account I found specifically about Duval, and that was by a guy named Malcolm J. Brenner. 
he wrote a whole book about his experiences starting with Reiki and therapy when he was four. But I was not so keen to use this one as a source because the man who wrote this book is also the author of a book called Wet Goddess, Recollection of... <laughs> 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 Wet Goddess, Recollections of a Dolphin Lover. <laughs> Which is exactly what it sounds like. Wait, wasn't oh my god? Did, wasn't this guy like in the news? <laughs> yes. Like, wait. Th- oh my god. Yeah, he um he had a love affair with a dolphin. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh, that, yes. 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 <laughs> Didn't have to be like separated from the dolphin. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. I either maybe his account maybe he he was just he's just nuts and um made this up. The other possibility is that going to Albert Duval made him that way. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. This was kind of an elephant in the room the whole time I was doing the research about Reich. There's this legacy of just tons of child abuse that happened afterwards. Yeah. Which, you may wonder, like, why am I picking on the Reichians for this? Because there have been lots of other types of therapists who have also abused their patients. But this was, I mean, these were people who were trained by Reich and they were close to him. And Reich was told about it and didn't do anything. So I, I think he is uh, responsible. So he did have an impact on psychology. And psychoanalysts who admired his work tended to split it into sane and insane periods, where whatever they felt he went insane, they kind of brushed off the rest of it. But they said, oh, before this he was sane, so this is good. Oh, God. So a a lot of people drew a line in the 1920s, and other people who liked his political work drew it in the 1930s, where he was a Marxist. And some forms of therapy that he influenced were gestalt therapy, bioenergetic analysis, and primal therapy. And I don't know exactly what those are, but... Hopefully none of them involve touching children. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) jeez. Yeah, hopefully. And on the orgone energy side of it, if you go on the internet today, there are lots of Reikian-inspired devices for sale on the internet. Yeah, you can buy orgone accumulators and door busters and stuff that is often mixed with other forms of alternative medicine. Like if you go on Etsy, uh, there are lots of door busters that you can buy that are made with healing crystals also. Oh, hell yeah. And they cost like $5,000. Wow. It's like quack science ghostbusters. This is, like, it, they look amazing. Yeah, it's a great scam too because yeah. how much could it possibly cost to build those yeah. things? Mm, you need a crystal. Mm. Like, I'm going to go make some in my garage. I'm going to become yeah. an like, organ salesman. A crystal to a piece of metal mm-hmm. and you have doorbuster. Yep. That's one reason why you have to be kind of careful researching Reich on the internet because most of what you find is written by Reichians because they're the people who are most interested in Reich and his theories. And whenever there are skeptical articles, they tend to be hit and run. Like, they'll just write, hey, look at this crazy thing, and then they'll move on to, to the next uh, scam that they find. Yeah. But the Reikians will stick with it, and they keep, they write 9,000-page refutations whenever there's any criticism of Reich. One of the first skeptical articles after Mildred Brady's series on the cult of sex and anarchy was by Martin Gardner, who was a beloved science writer. When was this? This was in 19, the 1950s, okay. when Reich was still alive. And he, he wrote a book called Fads and Fallacies in the Name of Science, which was one of the early skeptic movement books. And it, had, it, had, it talked about UFOs and the flat earth people and all that stuff. And in his chapter on Reich, he didn't lay out logical arguments why Reich was wrong. He just mm-hmm. described what it said. <laughs> and that, <laughs> and was, that was enough. Right. It was just like highlighting the absurdity <laughs> of it about how orgone energy made the sky blue and 
how when you look off into the distance on a hot day and you see the yeah. wavy, yeah. the wave he said that was also orgone energy. Mm. And the planets moved, be- not because of gravity, but because of orgone streams. Uh, yeah. So he just like laid that out and then said, this is what they believe. So Ellsworth Baker, who was mentioned earlier as being uh, feared by his child patients, was in charge of the American College of Orgonomy, which was started in New York and in 1980 it moved to Princeton. For what reason, I don't know. The College of Orgonomy is appears to be what appears to be a farmhouse. It's out in Franklin Township on Route 27. It doesn't look like a traditional college campus. It just looks like a house. Is it one building? Yes. You know, you can find orgonomist therapists easily on the Internet. And so I read some of what they had written about orgonomy and also articles in the Journal of Orgonomy to get an idea of what it's like. And there are some who are rather prominent in the area. There was a guy that uh, Bill found who has pictures of an orgone accumulator and a doorbuster on his website. So that kind of it kind of implies that he still uses them. You, well, you would think so. Yeah. yeah. And, and to clarify, they, these have been banned by the federal government? Well, they were banned. They were, I think they only stopped Reich from selling them. So mm-hmm. I think nothing is stopping you from building your own orgone accumulator. And then using it yes. on people. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we should build one. Right? Like, this is what I'm getting there were case reports published in the Journal of Ergonomy that I read, and they talk about doctors using character analysis techniques as well as physically working on the musculature armor of patients. Mm-hmm. And there was one guy who mentioned using a doorbuster to remove that deadly orgone energy. It, and it's also, if you care to look it up, there's a video of an orgonomy therapy session from the 90s that's online. Oh, I believe And the guy is like, he's lying on a mattress in his underwear, and he's screaming and crying. And the doctor is uh, putting his hands on his stomach and his chest and stuff. Kind of, it's kind of like what uh, what was described in that interview, but less yeah. sadistic. There were some articles written by ergonomists that I found notable. One of them was a Pennsylvania-based psychiatrist who teaches courses at the ACO. wrote a case report. He published a report on his website called A Case of Homosexuality. Hmm. This is in 2008. A 36-year-old bank teller came to him because of homosexual thoughts and got therapy. You know, there's a lot of jargon in the article. I couldn't tell quite exactly what he did. Here's an example. He says, I mobilized his anal rage by having him kick. Oh. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Uh, I know, but it sounds an- normal. Anal rage is now the name of my heavy metal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bill, this is anal rage. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, but it worked because the man got married and had, to a woman and has two children. I'm sure he's very happy now. He says in his analysis of homosexuality that homosexuality is based on orgastic impotence. The the homosexual is afraid of heterosexuality. To be clear, this is conversion therapy where you convert. And and this has been outlawed in several states. And the American Psychiatric Association has officially opposed it since 1998 because homosexuality is not a mental disorder. Right. They also have continued their laboratory experiments. The College of Ergonomy has public classes that you can sign up for where you can go and they, they show you things in microscopes and they there are pictures of them outside using what appears to be cloud busters and uh, stuff like that. So if you want to learn the real truth, you should go to one of their classes. You should go. <laughs> Do you think they'll let me go after this? <laughs> I have to go under an assumed name. Yeah. <laughs> um, obviously, this is all very unorthodox and fringe and not accepted by mainstream science. There are very few detailed arguments against any of Reich's theories, but Roger Wilcox is one of them. If you Google Roger Wilcox and Orgonomy, you'll find that he has a bunch of arguments that he made on his website just from an amateur 
skeptic perspective on on Reiki and therapy. And he wrote something that I thought was very appropriate to end on about Reiki. He says, his argument is that Reich was very smart, but where he failed was he did not build upon the achievements of previous scientists. Instead, he rejected them. Here's what Wilcox said. For unlike Sir Isaac Newton, Reich was not willing to stand upon the shoulders of giants. He stood only as high as his own experiences would allow, and from this low perch imagined himself to be a lone eagle soaring higher than any other man had ever reached. Forgotten History is a production of Community News Service and is recorded in beautiful Lawrenceville, New Jersey. Our theme music is The Quiet Earth by Thomas Barandon. If you would like to leave feedback, please write to ForgottenHistoryNJ at gmail.com or visit our Facebook page, which you can find by searching for Forgotten History Podcast. For further reading on Wilhelm Reich, check out Fury on Earth by Myron Schraff and Adventures in the Orgasmatron by Christopher Turner. Thanks for listening.